Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I pointed out this morning that uh, uh, unlike uh, the modern church where most preachers come to the pulpit with Uh, excellence of speech and the wisdom of men and very often are trying to impress people with their knowledge and so forth uh, and to to, uh, send people home uh, believing that their pastor is just really a tremendous uh, man and a tremendous uh, expository. Paul said, I purposed to not know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I came just in the simplicity of the gospel. Now, it wasn't that he didn't have things to teach. He he did, but he did it under the power and in the power of the Spirit. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of human wisdom, but my speech and my preaching were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Glory to God. And he said, for this purpose, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God wants our faith in his power. God wants the church to believe in the power of God, to have faith, not not just uh, mental assent to it, to believe in it in the sense that we believe in the power of God, but to actually put faith in the power of God, to, to expect the power of God, to experience the power of God, to believe in it, to believe for it, to operate in it, to have the power of God uh, uh, in operation in our lives. His power flowing in our lives. That's faith in the power of God. Amen. Glory to God. If you have faith in healing, you know, and you believe God, if you, some people just believe in healing in general. They believe God heals, but that won't get them healed. Faith that brings healing is faith that participates, that puts a demand on God for healing. Well, faith in the power of God puts a demand on that power, expects that power to operate, steps out in that power. Come on now gets involved in that power. They don't just, someone who who has faith in the power of God doesn't just sit in church like a bump on a log. Someone who has faith in the power of God doesn't just sit there when the spirit of God starts moving and starts prompting. He responds to that power. Why? Because he has faith in it. He knows that the power of God will transform his life, make the crooked way straight, make the straight way crooked, turn everything upside down, straighten out everything that's wrong, glory to God. The power of God will set you free. Amen. Glory to God. That your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Glory. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. We pointed out this morning that that word demonstration means a display, a display of his power, 
a display of the Spirit. The Spirit displays himself. The Spirit, God didn't send the Holy Spirit to be a secret agent. God didn't hold, send the Holy Spirit to, to, to be in the background. To just sort of doing things and we never know what he's doing and, 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 and so forth. The Holy Spirit is, is in, God sent the Holy Spirit to be out front. Amen, that we would witness the move of the Spirit, that we would operate in, that we would be moved by the Spirit of God, responding to the Holy Spirit as he all the time glorifies Jesus. He doesn't glorify himself, he glorifies Jesus, but he glorifies Jesus by demonstrating that glorification. He demonstrates the things of the Lord. He demonstrates himself. Amen. Puts himself on display. I say if the Holy Spirit's never in display, then you have to question whether, uh, whether uh, uh, well, you have a lot of things to question. <laughs> Are people really hungry? Are people really responding? Is there any place really given to him and for him? If he never displays himself, if he's never in demonstration, if there's never any operations of the Spirit, moves of the Spirit, then are people really giving him a place? Because if you give him an opportunity, he'll show off. If you give the Holy Spirit opportunity, he'll show off, he'll show himself. He'll demonstrate himself. He'll demonstrate the power of God. Amen. No demonstration. You just have to wonder if people are hungry or, 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 or if they have any place for him at all. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. Demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. The demonstrations of the Spirit and of power fall into two categories. There are two categories of the demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. There are spiritual demonstrations. We call those the gifts of the Spirit. And then there are physical demonstrations. So the demonstrations of the Spirit fall into two categories, physical demonstrations and spiritual demonstrations. And so what are the physical demonstrations of the Spirit? Well, one of the most common things that you see when the Holy Spirit is uh, moving and demonstrating yourself is you see people falling down. That's a very common occurrence in spirit-filled churches. People, hands are laid on people, they fall down. Uh, it's not the only, that's not the only way people fall. You don't have to have hands laid on you to fall out under the power of God. Amen. Amen. Is it scriptural or is it just a, is it just a charismatic uh, thing that, that happens in churches like ours? Do people just fall down because they're conditioned to fall down? Well, what, what is it? What, what's it all about? Well, there are three kinds of falling in the, in the Bible, or you could say three, uh, three kinds of prostrations where people fall. And first of all is voluntary in worship. Go with me over to Luke chapter 17. We need to base everything we do on the word of God. Amen. If there's no word for it, we don't need to be doing it. If there is word for it, then we ought to have it. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke 17, 
This is the story of the 10 lepers who came to Jesus and uh, wanted him to heal them. And he said to them, verse 14, go show yourself to the priest. Now that would be an act of faith to go to the priest because according to the law, you didn't, if you had leprosy, you didn't go to the priest until you were healed. If after you were cleansed, then you would go to the priest and you would offer up a sacrifice, a ceremonial cleansing then would be applied to you, some shakings and, 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 and uh, water and so forth and you would be declared cl- clean to the congregation. You could come back into the company of, uh, of, of, of Israel. Uh, but you went there after you were cleansed. Jesus told these lepers while the leprosy was still in them, he, he said, uh, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. That was an act of faith. They knew when they got there, they better be cleansed. They better not have leprosy when they show up at the priest because if they do, they're gonna be excommunicated. They're gonna be not just put on the outside of, the, of town. They're gonna be driven from, from the commonwealth of Israel. They're gonna be excommunicated. And so they, they just trust God. Well, I, I asked Jesus to heal me. He told me to do this. So I'm gonna obey him and I just believe I'm healed, praise God. As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And so we see this. This is one place. You could find other records of of this type of falling uh, in the Bible, but this was a voluntary falling. He fell in worship before the Lord. Then there is uh, falling down under a heavy burden. If you go with me to Matthew And let's look at the 26th chapter, 26th chapter of Matthew and look at verse number 37. This, of course, was when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36, he came there and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. He, he took with him Peter and his two sons, Zebedee, and began to be very sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said, my soul is, is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup, this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Notice here the master fell Uh, on his face under a heavy burden. And so the Bible talks about that. But then the Bible also talks about people falling because of coming into contact with the power of God. Many and numerous uh, incidents are afforded in scripture and shown to us where people came into contact with the power of God and they fell. Somebody said it like this, you know, when the natural meets the supernatural, something has to give and it's not gonna be the supernatural. Isn't that right? When you run into the power of God, a sufficient uh, 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 degree of the power of God, the natural man will give way to that. Amen? Go with me for some examples. Look at John, the 18th chapter. John 18. Praise the Lord. John 18, and let's look at verse number 16. John 18, 16. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard, glory to God, of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known of the high priest went 
and, and uh, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and Peter uh, and, and brought Peter in. This is not the opening that I intended to look at. Maybe you can find out where it was, but uh, I think it might be, yeah, it was the sixth verse, not the 16th verse. Now, this is when the, the, uh, uh, the soldiers came to capture Jesus and take him. They said, who, who are you seeking? He said, who are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. Well, why did they do that? Did anybody push them down? No, it was the, when Jesus said, I am he, there was sufficient power that came from his spoken word that the soldiers hit the ground. You know, soldiers weren't accustomed to just falling down. Uh, that, that was not part of their assignment. That's not part of their training. And, uh, and, I, and I would be willing to speculate that it probably wasn't allowed. Amen. And the soldiers, it says that they drew back, that is they stumbled back and fell to the ground. Let's go over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And look at verse number one. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. Can you imagine? His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. Well, dead men don't stand up. So if they became dead men, do they, Steve? I don't think they do. Dead men fall, don't they? They shook. When that angel showed up, they just started shaking and just fell over like dead men. Well, praise the Lord. That's what happened. They came into, the, into, into contact with the power of God. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Hallelujah. Matthew 17. Now, verse one says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And, his, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make you three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Another place, another one of the gospels says he didn't know what he was saying. (laughs) And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed and, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they heard the voice that came from the cloud. They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Again, they fell out under the power of God. Amen. Go over to Acts chapter nine. We're just seeing if there's any scriptural basis for people falling. Is it just something people do or is there a scriptural uh, uh, precedent for this? In Acts chapter nine, when Paul, Saul rather, was on the road to Damascus and, and the Lord appeared to him, 
It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then a voice, then he, no, then he fell to the ground. Sorry, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from the ground, he answered, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. So he's on the ground. He fell to the ground. And on the ground, he's trembling. He's talking to the Lord. And he's, is, it, is it scriptural for people to shake under the power of God? Well, yes, the, we see already this uh, reference. We've seen another where, where they trembled in the presence of God, under the power of God. And so Paul experienced that. Turn over to the 10th chapter. There's just one chapter over. In the 10th chapter, it says in verse nine, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. The Greek there uh, says that he fell over bodily. He didn't just fall with his vision, you know, into a trance. He fell over. He fell over bodily into a trance. Well, that's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And turn over then to uh, Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter one. And let's look at verse number 10 and verse number 17. Glory to God. We know that... uh, Jesus appeared. In verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And then it tells us what he said, what what this voice said. And uh, it says that uh, he saw, I turned and saw the voice uh, speaking with me and I turned and saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of God, the son of man, describes how he looked, how he, how he physically looked. Verse 17 says, and when I saw him, I felt at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not fear, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Glory to God. So again, John saw him, and he fell over bodily, as though he was dead. You could look in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We won't read them tonight just for the sake of time. But you see that when the, when the presence of God and the spirit of God came upon uh, prophets in the Old Testament, sometimes they would fall over. Well, it's scriptural to fall then. Amen. I don't, when I lay hands on people, I, I'm always very careful, or at least I try to be very careful not to, with my hand on their head, not to get them out of balance. You know, you can push accidentally even, you know, push somebody's head back and you can throw them off balance. I, I, I'm conscious when, when, I, when, I, when I'm able to, it's something that I consistently try to do, I try not to do that because I don't want people falling because they just lost their balance, you know. Uh, and, but people fall under the presence of God, under the power of God. And so we call it falling under the power. Some people call it being slain in the spirit, whatever you want to call it. When the, when the power of God is in sufficient manifestation, it will affect you bodily. Amen. Now, now some people fall just because they think they're supposed to. Some people fall because they think if they don't fall, they won't get anything. Falling never healed anybody. Amen. 
I've seen just as great uh, things happen when people didn't fall as when they did fall. But I've also seen people that you knew from the expression on their face that they didn't expect to fall. I've had people that I've laid hands on that, that that was the first time they'd ever been in a service like this. They were the first person in line. Nobody had fallen. They'd evidently never seen anything like this. And the next thing you know, they're opening their eyes and they're on the floor and they're looking around like, what happened to me? And, uh, it, it, uh, and I've seen people uh, uh, completely transformed just by that experience of the power of God in such a measure in their life that they fell out under the power. When they got up, they were changed. It wasn't the falling that did it. Falling was just a reaction to the power of God. It was the power of God that did it. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So there is falling under the power. That's something you see very often and evidently we've got a lot of scripture for it. Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, well, we've got quite a few, don't we? Amen. What about, what about the business of uh, inspired dancing? Dancing, we call it dancing in the spirit or you could just call it dancing by the inspiration of the spirit, inspired by the spirit to dance in church. Uh, is there scripture for that? Go with me to Psalm 149. Psalm 149, hallelujah. I tell you what, before you go there, go, let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 15. This is when the Lord delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. They had passed through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army, you might recall, went after them down into the Red Sea and when they did, the waters of the Red Sea returned and, and, and Pharaoh and his army and soldiers and their chariots, everything was just completely washed away. Everybody was drowned. And uh, it said, so it says in 1431, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. I would say their faith suddenly became uh, firmly established in the power of God. Amen. They saw the great power of God. Verse one of chapter 15 says, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God and I will exalt him and so forth. And then we won't read all of this song. This song was given by the inspiration of the, of the spirit. Moses didn't have a, a, a lyricist, you know, that wrote songs for him. Amen. He, he, didn't, he didn't sit down someplace and write this out. This came by the inspiration of the spirit. He sang it and the people sang it along with him. Amen, probably followed him. Now go over to verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Miriam, the prophetess, she had her timbrel in her hand and, and all the women went after, after and they were all dancing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Dancing belongs to the people of God. 
Amen. It didn't originate in a nightclub somewhere. Dancing belongs to the people of God. The devil has taken it and perverted it, made it something sensual, made it something uh, dark and of the flesh. But there is a, a holy dance before the Lord. Amen. And we see it when the children of Israel were delivered that they danced. Glory to God. And then turn now over to, to the 149th Psalm, Psalm 149. Psalm 149, hallelujah. Verse three says, let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. It's funny that nobody has a problem with people singing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. But when they begin to praise him with the dance, people get, you know, they're, get all you know, uh, uh, out of shape and bothered about it. What in the world is going on in this place? Why are these people dancing around like this? Why are they acting like that? Well, they need to just read their Bible. Amen. It, it, whenever, whenever you're really fully uh, aware of how God has, has, how good he has been, go back to first one. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker and the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Well, we're the children of Zion. Over in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, it talks about Zion and it refers to the church as being Zion. So there's a reference to Israel, but there's also a spiritual reference to the church. Amen. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Are you joyful? Amen. Well, if you're joyful, you'll praise him with the dance. Amen. Just as much as with singing and with the timbrel and harp and the guitars and, and drums and organs and pianos and... and, and uh, uh, rub scrub boards and all the things that you praise the Lord with. Amen, every instrument of music, but also with the dance. Scriptural to dance, amen. Over in Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. So we can see that dance, dance is a, a biblical expression of praise to the Lord, is it not? Can you see that? Amen. And then, and then go over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, go back to 2 Samuel and let's look at chapter six. 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter. This is the story of how the, the ark that had been taken captive and had been kept in, in, uh, with the Philistines for a period of time. Of course, they saw right away that the ark of the Lord didn't need to be with them, caused them a lot of trouble. And, uh, and so the ark had been moved. Uh, and so in the, in the sixth chapter, it says, and David gathered all the choice men. See if I wanna read back that far. Now let's skip, let's skip down to verse number 12. Now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So they brought the ark up with gladness. That means with celebration. This wasn't a sad day. It wasn't a solemn day. The Bible talks about calling a solemn assembly. There's a place for that. But there's a place for gladness. 
Amen. When God has done great things, there are times when we ought to be glad about it. It's scriptural to be glad. So this was a very celebrated uh, atmosphere. And it says that uh, they'd go when those who uh, bore the ark went four paces or six paces, that they stopped and he sacrificed oxen and sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. That means that he had taken off his kingly garments because he was king, but he had put on the garments of a priest. And uh, uh, he danced, it says, before the Lord with all his might. There's a note in my Bible, a little number there, and over the margin it says that it literally says he whirled about, whirled about. So David whirled about before the Lord with all his might. What does it look like when people dance in the New Testament? Does it look like, you know, the, the uh, boogie woogie? Does it, look like, does it look like the twist? Does it look like some modern dance? No, it, it, it might look like twirling around before the Lord because it says he danced, but, but literally it says he twirled around. Well, glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Is it scriptural to do that? David thought so. So David and all the house of of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. We're all in favor of that. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked, this was his wife, David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. Would it be scriptural to to leap and whirl before the Lord? Well, it was, was, King David thought it was scriptural. And she saw him, she looked out the window and saw him. So he did it on the outskirts of town. He did it on the way. He did it in town. So David did a whole lot of whirling. He did a whole lot of leaping and whirling because he was seen in different places doing it. Amen? Amen. Are you with me? She despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when the Lord had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. It was a great day. I mean, what, what a wonderful end of a great day. The ark is back. They have shouted and praised God. And, and David has, has leapt and whirled, you know, before the Lord. Nobody was offended but his wife. Amen. No one was offended <clears throat> except his wife. Then David, verse 20, returned to bless his household. And Michal, the, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said with sarcasm dripping from every word, how glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servant as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. What she was referring to is that he had taken off his kingly garments and he wasn't naked, okay, he just took off, he took off the vestiges, the vestige and the garments of 
nobility. He took off the garments of dignity. He took up the, off the garments that people could take pride in, that, that, would, that would tend to exalt an individual. He took those off intentionally and purposely and just put on the, the, the garment of a, of a priest. And Michael, Michael, she evidently, she enjoyed being the king's wife. She evidently really, really enjoyed the prestige of, you know, there's prestige when you live in the, in the, uh, uh, in the palace of the king and you're the king's wife, you're somebody. Isn't that right? And, and she liked all of the entrapments that went with that. She looked, she liked the prestige. She liked the, uh, the uh, acclaim and the people to look up to him because if they looked up to him, then, then uh, they would look up to her. And whenever he, uh, uh, as in her opinion, debased himself by taking off the kingly garments and putting on the lowly garments of a priest and being able to dance and then dance before the Lord, she accused him of doing the same thing that the, that the uh, uh, streakers do. She said, like the base, uh, how did she say it? Uh, like the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. (laughs) It was before the Lord that I did this, who chose me instead of your father and over all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight but as for the maid servant of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It didn't go well with her when she criticized someone dancing before the Lord in worship to the Lord. And uh, he said, if you think, I've, you think I was undignified today, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I will even be more undignified than this. There's one thing about dancing in the presence of the Lord is it's certainly not dignified. <laughs> it's not supposed to be dignified. Amen. Some people in church, you see some people dancing and, and, they're, and it's a very dignified dance. I, I question that. <laughs> because it, it, it brings honor to them. They look cool doing it. <laughs> Amen. There are a lot of churches that practice interpretive dance and, uh, and they have a dance routine and they have dancers that get up and they have uh, certain uh, garments on that they all look the same and they, and they do a very stylish dance, you know, an interpretive dance. And, and no one thinks, ooh, that's foolish. Everybody thinks, ooh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that wonderful? Well, they're getting all the glory. The glory's not going to the Lord. Amen. Well, praise God. Some people dance, you know, just a fleshly dance. That's, that's not by the Spirit of God. I said the fleshly dance is not by the Spirit of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll meddle here a little bit. <laughs> a lot of times you, if you go on the internet and you, and you watch Christopher Allen's crusades, 
And, and you see, he'll, he'll very often post on there, this is how we worship in Africa. And you see the people dancing, it's all flesh. So if you've looked at it, you'll see it's all flesh. Man, they're getting down, you know. They're bumping and grinding and, you know, <laughs> to the beat. And, <laughs> and they're dancing a fleshly dance. I'm telling you, it's all flesh. Well, he's a great apostle. He is. He, he's, a, he's a tremendous man of God, a tremendous apostle. But I also know that just because you're great in one area doesn't mean you understand everything. Boy, it got quiet in here. He's my friend. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. But I'm telling you, the dancing that goes on in those crusades isn't in the spirit. It's in the flesh. You look at it. You can see it. It's very much a part of their natural, I've been there twice, been to Africa twice. It's very much in their natural culture to dance. And so they're dancing in the natural. Is, is it wrong? Well, it's, it's, it doesn't help the move of God. I, I noticed this, that Brother Christopher, in all of those years, in the 1990s, when Dad was conducting Holy Ghost meetings in the States, Brother Christopher didn't get in on, on any of that. He didn't get, any, get in on any of that teaching. And so if you follow him very closely, sometimes you'll see him post some things about certain moves of the spirit being kind of critical. I'm just telling you, I've, I've heard him do it. I've seen him do it. Just be a little critical. Whether there's just some aspects of that that he hasn't been exposed to is something that doesn't happen in his meetings because, because uh, the culture takes over. And I'm not saying he ought to do anything differently. I'm just saying you need to understand that, that that's not in the spirit. And, and, and yet God's doing great things among the people, but uh, worship could be better. Amen. There is a dance that's inspired of the spirit that's not inspired by the music, not inspired by the beat. It's not inspired by the flesh. It's not inspired by, by pride or look at me. It's, it's when people just whirl about and dance, uh, uh, in the, in the, by the inspiration of the Spirit. Is it scriptural? It's entirely scriptural. Amen. Well, glory to God. Don't get mad with me. It's just true. Amen. Uh, what about inspired laughter? When people, when people, you'll see, or you'll hear people in church sometimes when the Spirit of God is moving in a certain way, people will just start laughing for no reason. Just nothing's funny, they're not laughing at something somebody said. It's just, they'll just begin to laugh. And uh, laughter is something that, that's hard to contain. Amen. When, when, you, when you have a good laugh on you, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just all you can do. You just have to laugh. And, uh, and sometimes whenever you're not supposed to laugh, that's, that's, that's the time when it, whenever you'll just laugh the, the most. You ever, you ever been to a funeral? and you're not supposed to laugh at a funeral, and something funny happens, and it's just like, you know, you just almost can't contain yourself because just the, the, where you are makes it worse. Isn't that right? Amen. I told you about the time I was in the service and, and, and the people, we were kneeling to pray, and the people behind me were kneeling, and, they, and the lady behind me began to pray, and she said, Beady, 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 beady. Remember me telling that story? Beady, 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 beady. And her husband was saying, bo, 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 bo. 
And, and I was kneeling and like in this chair, just kneeling and my pastor friend was kneeling here and his wife was kneeling there and the woman and man sitting behind us were leaning forward. So my head was only about that far from her head and she was saying, beady, 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 beady. Well, my pastor friend and I on the front row, we, we just started, we started laughing. You couldn't help it. You knew you weren't supposed to. But, but this is just, this is just common. This wasn't laughing in the spirit. We just got tickled, you know, and we're laughing. And, and then when he starts bo, 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 I mean, we just, we couldn't, we couldn't take it. We just couldn't take it. You can't take it. And so we're laughing. Tears are streaming down her eyes and, 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 and Philip, Pastor Philip, his wife is next to him and she's, she better shut up. You too, Edwin and Philip, y'all stop it, stop it. Well, that just, I mean, that just made it worse. Now we're just, we're just sobbing, you know. So, so laughter happens sometimes, and when it happens, you, you, it just, it, you just can't contain yourself. Well, it's that way in the natural, but it's also that way in the spirit. When inspired laughter comes, amen. Well, well, is it scriptural? Does it happen? Turn to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, boy, I'm running out of time. I just talk too much. <laughs> You didn't have to agree with me. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, we'll just skip that. There are several verses here. We'll skip all of them for time's sake. Go over to the 126th Psalm. We were going to read, we were going to read Genesis 21, 6, chapter 18, 20, 12 through 15, Job 5, 20 through 22, Job 8, 21, but we're not. Praise the Lord. Turn over to Psalm 126. All of these are about laughing. Psalm 126, every one of those scriptures are about inspired laugh, the Lord making me laugh. Hallelujah, the 126th Psalm. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then the Lord said, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. That's what the nation said about Israel. They begin to say, the Lord has done great things for them. And they answered, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Not sad, not mad, glad, praise God. And it says, because the Lord had turned our captivity, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Nobody gets upset when people begin to sing. Just be inspired of the Lord, just to sing praises to the Lord. Well, what about when people are inspired and they begin to laugh? Would it be scripture? Well, according to this and, and the other scriptures we didn't read, it would be, amen? Glory to God, hallelujah. What about when people run? Turn over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, glory to God. Is it scriptural for people to be inspired of the spirit? Now, you can just run just because other people are running, but it's another thing to be inspired of the Holy Ghost and the hand of the Lord come upon you. It says in verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So we went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So seven times this happened. Then it came to pass on the seventh time that the servant of the Lord said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it had happened, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. 
So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now this, the distance between Carmel, the foot of Carmel and Jezreel was 14 miles. Now that's 14 for the commentary tell us that it's 14 miles, a straight line. Well, you know the road's not a straight line. So it was probably a little longer than 14 miles. And Ahab starts out in his chariot. Now this is the king of Israel. He has a good chariot. He's got a high performance chariot. He's got major horsepower connected this, to this chariot. And, and so he heads out in a rush because, because the prophet warned him, you know, it hadn't rained in three years. All the vegetation's dead. The ground is nothing but just thick in powder and dust. And, and once it starts raining, that's gonna turn into a quagmire quickly. And so the, the prophet said, you need to get up right now. You need to get in your chariot. You need to head back to Jezreel because it's about to rain and you don't wanna get stuck in the mud. And so he took off and then the hand of the Lord, notice the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab. He outran the king's chariot, 14 miles. Glory to God. Faster, he didn't just, it'd be remarkable enough to run 14 miles, but he ran and outran the king's chariot. Glory to God. He ran inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Is it scriptural? When the Holy Spirit moves upon people, would it be something that we'd have precedent for in the Bible for people to be quickened, to be uh, uh, moved upon by the, by the hand of the Lord and, and be inspired to run? Well, evidently it would be. Amen. Now you can just run because other people are running, but then when the Spirit of God moves on you, don't just stand there. If the Spirit of God runs on you, moves upon you to run, run. If he moves upon you to dance, dance. If he moves upon you to sing, sing. If he moves upon you to shout, shout. If he moves upon you to, to, to laugh, laugh. Whatever. However the Lord moves upon you, yield to that. Amen. Glory to God. And then there's the uh, the... Uh, specter that we see sometimes of people being drunk. We call it being drunk in the spirit. Now this receives a lot of bad press. There's a, there's a lot of people criticize this. But look over at the book of Acts real quick. Acts chapter two. Amen. You don't want to make a big doctrine out of it, but right at the same time, if the Bible covers it and gives an example of it, then we ought not to be surprised when it happens. On the day of Pentecost, we know what happened. We won't read all the verses. They were all in one place in one accord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now it says they were dwelling in Jerusalem, verse five, devout men from every, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to this, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Then it lists all these different languages and dialects and so forth. Verse 11, it says, we hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. In other words, they're drunk. 
But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's too early for people to be drinking, he said. Natural drink. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17 says that the prophet Joel it said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams and so forth. Notice the outpouring of the spirit resulted in people being accused of being drunk. Now, people, uh, if you... When the, when, the, when the spirit of God is manifested to a certain degree, sometimes you will get drunk. You, you will, you, you, just like in the natural when people get drunk, you know, they, they uh, uh, well, you, you know, if you've, maybe you shouldn't, but you probably have some of you at least, probably have some remembrance of what it was like to be drunk in the natural. I do. And, uh, and, and you know, people that are drunk, they, they, they act drunk. You know what drunk people act like? They stagger around. Their speech is slurred. They laugh a lot for no apparent reason and, uh, and are generally, uh, 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 what, what do you call it when you're, when you're not, uh, not incoherent, not, when you're not inhibited, uninhibited, you become uninhibited. <laughs> Answered my own question. When people are drunk, their inhibitions tend to, to go away and, and they tend to just not care what anybody thinks. And, and this must have been happening because they were accused of being, they, wouldn't have, they would not have been accused of being drunk if they weren't exhibiting some symptoms of drunkenness. And Peter stood up and said, these are not drunk as you suppose. They suppose they were drunk on, on liquor he said, these are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour my spirit out. It's not, now you know why they call uh, liquor spirits. That's where that term, that's where that, that ref reference came from. Liquor is referred to as spirits because when the Holy Spirit was poured out and people were filled with the spirit, they they acted drunk. Now, uh, people, like I said, uh, people will, will criticize you. People, listen, I, I resolved that long ago that people are gonna criticize me no matter what. And so I might as well just obey God and let God be pleased and let everybody else think what they want to. Now, I'm not talking about recklessness, but I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit is genuinely manifesting himself, <clears throat> I determined a long time ago, I'm gonna yield to that. Some people have said, well, they, they weren't acting drunk. The, the reason they were accused of being drunk was because of the tongues. But listen, these were someone, in, everyone in that crowd, everyone in the crowd 
heard someone speaking in their own language and knew that they didn't naturally know those languages. They knew they weren't from there and they wondered how in the world could they be speaking their language. Hearing someone speaking your language is not an indication. When you hear somebody speaking uh, your language, that's not an indication of drunkenness. That That doesn't look or sound drunk. I've been in several international airports and uh, I, I've been in, in, in uh, international airports here in the United States and I've been in international airports in other countries and, and some places, particularly in the international terminals, you hear people speaking all kinds of languages. I mean, you hear them speaking French and Spanish and Portuguese and Russian and Arabic. You know, you hear, I've walked through those airports. I've never thought, well, these people are all drunk. <laughs> These people must be drunk. No, that's not a sign of drunkenness. So what was it? It had to be something beside the tongues. And so Peter got up and, and he quoted this, you know, from the, from, from the apostle Joel. And uh, in verse 30, in verse 32 says, Jesus, this Jesus God is raised up of whom we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So it wasn't just what they heard, it was what they saw that made these people think that these uh, believers on the day of Pentecost were drunk. Well, praise the Lord. There's also some other, some other demonstrations of the Spirit. We see in the Bible, we won't go into it tonight, we, we, we see it sometimes where when the Spirit of God moves on someone, it causes people to be uh, unable to speak. I, I've had that happen every now and then, either when I'm preaching or when I'm praying. More often when I'm praying, sometimes I, 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 I'll, I will not be able to get out the words. I'm just sort of, I can't speak. Well, that's just, that's, there's scripture for that. It's just a demonstration of the Spirit. We also see that there's a demonstration of the Spirit that when people are, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, particularly in judgment, that sometimes blindness falls upon people. Remember Saul, you know, or or whenever he ministered to the the man there in the book of Acts who was trying to oppose the gospel, he said, the hand of the Lord will be upon you for a season and you'll not be able to see. And it says that a mist uh, fell upon him. Well, that was the hand of the Lord came upon him and, and, and he was blind for a season. And it even happened to Saul himself on the, on the road to Damascus. He was blind for a season. He wasn't sick. He didn't get an eye disease. The hand of the Lord came upon him. Well, these are demonstrations of the Spirit. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.